Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. What a wonderful day to be in worship together. Thank you so much, for Miss Allison, for that reminder of all of the people that pour into our lives. And thank you, Hannah and Amy Brookshire, our mother-daughter duo this morning, for leading worship. We're so thankful for all of our women. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. I invite you to hear these words. At the time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lebedeth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak and Abinam from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Zabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kadash with with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera to the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went down with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went with him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes uh, we pick scripture because it really works to help set up the sermon, and other times I just enjoy watching Katrina try to pronounce really hard names. Originally, I'd pick that for David, but he's on vacation today, so my prank did not work. Um, All right, I want to start off today with a hand-raised poll. So that means that if I, when I ask the question, if it applies to you, you just raise your hand. If you're online, I invite you to um, participate in the comments, however uh, you'd like to, to answer these two questions. So the first question, I want you to raise your hand if Creekwood is the first Methodist church you have ever belonged to. Yeah. Okay, good, great. All right, now raise your hand if you feel like you totally understand how Methodists are different from Baptists, Catholics, Presbyterians, and so on. Katrina, you better. Yeah. Right? So Sarah Ginrich, I saw you had like a, like, kind of. So that's exactly the reason why we wanted to start this sermon series. And it's only three weeks. We're calling it Methodism 101 because we want to cover the basics. 
There are some small intricacies that Methodists believe that have really big implications. And so for the next three weeks, whether you're someone who's been Methodist your whole life and you think you know this stuff, or you don't really care about being Methodist, you just care being at Creekwood, I invite you to ask God to open your heart to what God might teach you by looking at these Methodist-specific principles. And so the first of these that we're going to cover this week is where we as a denomination came from. If you've been around Methodists long enough, you've probably heard of John and Charles Wesley, who are often credited as being the founders and even perfectors of what was called at the time the Methodist movement. Now, there's lots of history that I don't have time to explain on how we got from John and Charles Wesley to Creekwood United Methodist Church, but if you want to come to Methodism 201 on Wednesday night at 6.30, we're covering history this week, and I will get you there. So John and Charles Wesley... When they decided to go off to college at Oxford, they started what they called holy clubs. And these were people who were devoted to the methods of their faith, to spiritual discipline, and to the engagement they had in their relationship with God. And so here's what it took to be a member of the holy club. They met daily from 6 to 9 for prayer, psalms, and the reading of the New Testament in Greek. They had different special virtues that they agreed to pray for each hour of They regularly visited prisoners and cared for the sick. And at the time, Oxford was a religiously affiliated university. You had to have membership in the Church of England to obtain your bachelor's degree. So here come these guys, John and Charles Wesley, starting holy clubs that are leading people to engaging in important spiritual disciplines with God. So what do you think their classmates did? Do you think their classmates were like really awesome and like joined with them? They're like, yeah, holy club for everyone. Yeah, no, Um, they were really mean to them. Uh, They decided to make fun of them. And of all of the insults that exist in English language in the UK at the time especially, they decided to call these guys a name that was really going to be a gut punch, that was really going to be horrible for them, was really going to be insulting. Can you guess what they called them? It's not any of the words you're thinking. They called them Methodists. You're part of a denomination in which we've used the name that our bullies gave us as to what we're calling ourselves. Sorry, it's the hair. It just messes with the microphone. So you belong to a denomination that uses the names that our bullies called us. And from the UK to the US and now all over the world, the Methodist movement is something that so many people are part of. But there was someone who taught the boys to be Methodists before they were ever called Methodists. And that was their mother. Susanna Wesley is the forgotten founder of Methodism. I think it's the way that she influenced her children growing up that led to the boys upholding the value of spiritual discipline that they did when they went off to college. Susanna Wesley is the daughter and the wife of pastors. So she was a woman who saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church. Susanna Wesley had 19 children, only 10 of which survived past childbirth. The family was not incredibly wealthy, and so it fell to Susanna to be the primary source for academic education in the house. But she took this a step further and saw herself as the primary source of spiritual education in the house as well. All of her children, including the girls, learned to read and write in English, Latin, and Greek, 
She had them memorize large portions of the New Testament and would even have them quote scripture to her as she examined them before lunch and evening prayers every single day. Susanna Wesley is a woman after my own heart. Historians say that Susanna Wesley was making spreadsheets before spreadsheets existed because she had one hour every night that she devoted to spending time alone with one of her children. They each had a designated night of the week. They knew they were going to get their mother's undivided attention before bed. I think it's fair to claim that John and Charles Wesley would have never prioritized spiritual discipline when they went off to college if Susanna had not instilled it in the home with them at first. But Susanna was not only a spiritual leader within the household, but also in her community. So on Sunday afternoons, Susanna Wesley would host these um, family worship services that they would have at their house where um, she would preach and bring a word and lead prayers. And community members started to ask, well, can we, can we come to that? And it became open for everyone. And so at its peak, 200 people came to the Wesley household in the afternoon, which got a little awkward because um, that was less than the number of people who were in the church service that morning. And her husband was the pastor community preferred Susanna's teaching. They preferred her sermons. They preferred her as a leader. Susanna Wesley is the mother of Methodism and an incredible woman of faith. The story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament is complicated with its own peaks and valleys, both patriarchs and servants who play important roles. And perhaps there is no book of the Bible that further shows us this insane dichotomy than the book of Judges. Now, Judges is best understood like a Shakespearean tragedy. It's a real bummer, but we're supposed to learn something. It's a book that cautions against violence in the bulk of its material, yet if I made it into a movie, at minimum it would receive a rated R rating because of how much violence is in there. And it is a continuation on the series that David and I have of books of the Bible we don't think you should read before bed. But in the Old Testament, the book of Judges has the most named women in it of any other book in the Old Testament. And so in the book of Judges, Israel finds themselves in the promised land. They have made it. They've set up permanent houses. No longer are they wandering in the wilderness, setting up uh, temporary tents. But, but this is permanent buildings that they have. And Joshua is the one who leads them into the promised land, and he dies. And you would think that the people of Israel, after losing their leader, would be totally fine. They know how to have faithfulness in God. God has brought them from slavery into Egypt through the wilderness and now to the promised land. And so you would think that they would totally stay on God's side, right? Nope. They decide to start worshiping other gods because Joshua has died. They forget where they come from. They forget uh, what what they know about the faithfulness of God. It says in scripture that they do what is evil in the sight of God. So in the book of Judges, there are 11 stories of Judges. And they have a similar (laughs) pattern-ish. The people turn from God, so misfortune falls upon them. They cry out and ask, God, why did you do this to us? God rises up a judge who delivers the people. Everything's fine and good for a little bit. The judge dies, and then it starts all over again. So the basic pattern of this um, is kind of interrupted after the story of Deborah. Deborah is the last good judge in the book of Judges before things start to really get icky with the rest of the book. And so in Judges chapter 4, we find ourselves at the start of the cycle. 
The people of Israel have turned from God. They are doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord, and they are now crying out to God because bad things have happened to them. And in chapter 4, or in verse 4, we learn that there is a judge named Deborah. She's also called a prophetess. Now, she is one of only two characters in the Bible that is called a prophet and a judge. Does anyone know the other one? Samuel. It's a pretty good company for Deborah to be in. Verse 4 tells us that Deborah is the wife of Lapidoth. Now, you would think Lapidoth sounds like a pretty cool name for a husband. It's actually not a person. It's a town. And translated, it's a town that was known for its fiery torches. And so when they call Deborah the wife of Lapidoth, what they're saying in the Carrie Lynn Lucas version of the, of the Bible, Deborah's got a fiery personality. So we learn from the opening verses that Deborah is already a judge. She sits under a palm tree and helps people settle their disputes. And so she summons this guy, Barak, who's one of her associates, to call him to action. She tells him that God has given him a commandment to combine different tribes together to go and fight against the Canaanite enemies. She boldly holds Barak accountable to do what he needs to do. And he encourages him to bring the different tribes together to do so. So at this time, once the tribes of Israel had landed in their permanent places, they weren't getting along anymore. It was easier when they were traveling in the wilderness and they were all suffering together. But for some reason, when they set up permanent residence, it became about this tribe and that tribe. And Deborah was over it. And so she tells Barak to combine the armies for this fight. Deborah was a bridge builder. And so Barak says to her in all of his wisdom, well, I'm not going unless you go with me. Barak seeks the presence of Deborah and knows that if she does not go with him, she knows that if she doesn't go with him, that Barak has now threatened to disobey a direct commandment that God has given him. Now, I've read the Bible a few times, and what I've noticed is that people who have direct commandments from God and then don't do the things get in lots of trouble. And I think Deborah knew this. And so whether out of duty or obligation or, dare I say, spiritual discipline like a Methodist, Deborah agrees to go with Barak. And so the army, under the leadership of this power team of Deborah and Barak, are successful. Deborah proves herself to be an incredible woman of faith. And the entirety of Judges chapter 5 is a song that everyone sings after the military victory. And in chapter 5, verse 7, they use an interesting name to describe Deborah. They call her the mother of Israel. Finding a way to appropriately celebrate Mother's Day has become increasingly difficult the more women that I come across in my journey of life. This past Wednesday, there were two women named Alyssa in my life who experienced really important things. My stepmother, Alyssa, lost her mom on Wednesday morning. And in the same hour, my very best friend in the entire world, also named Alyssa, became a mom when Emerson Rose was born. Finding a way to appropriately celebrate Mother's Day, even just for my two Alyssas this year, is incredibly difficult. There are women who are incredible mothers, 
who tirelessly carry their family schedule, the meals, the laundry, and the general well-being of their family with a smile on their face. And so sometimes Mother's Day is the only day that they are um, thanked or noticed or given a break. And the chances of that even being possible for a single mom are even lower. There are women like my own mother who have grown children that are not get to see them on Mother's Day because, well, I'm here with you. (laughs) They have memories of of hand-painted crafts and cards, but they miss their babies today. There are women who come to church on Mother's Day with great anticipation because historically, the church has only acknowledged or preached about women on Mother's Day. And so these women walk into the church buildings with budding anticipation because they are finally going to hear about women in the Bible. They're going to be reminded that the divine feminine exists just as much as the divine masculine. They will hear for the first time in 365 days that, yes, women too are made in the image of God just as much as men. Sometimes this is the only day that women hear something good about being a woman from the pulpit. There are women who dread Mother's Day, holding tight the grief perhaps that comes with another year passing without children to walk into church with them, whether by miscarriage, infertility, or no partner to start that journey with. The church tells us that we are not complete without children. And sometimes it's the only Sunday that devoted women like these don't come to church. There are women who have made the choice not to have children. Sometimes it's a Sunday that they question their inerrant value to the church if they never become a mother. Is there a place for me in God's family if I don't have children? There are women and men who have lost mothers or mother-like figures in their life. Sometimes it's a Sunday of of smiles and happy stories of a mother that was good to them, but it's also full of tears and longing just to call their mother and hear her voice and ask her advice one more time. There are mothers who have lost children. These are women who carry grief of a loss that is not supposed to happen in this life, that is so unnatural and goes against everything that we know. There are stepmothers who have literally stepped up into blended families who question if Mother's Day is for them or not. There are people who've had a complex relationship with their mother. And later today, they will scroll through all of the wonderful, well-meaning Facebook posts and yearn just to have a portion of that. Finding a way to appropriately celebrate Mother's Day has become increasingly difficult the more that I get to know women. And so I do what any preacher does when she gets lost. I googled. I googled the actual meaning of the word mother. And you know what the actual meaning of the word mother, the first definition of mother is? A woman in authority. That's it. A woman in authority is a mother. Then I thought, well, what about the Hebrew word? The Hebrew word that's used um, in Genesis to describe Eve as the mother of all creation. The Hebrew word that is used in Judges 5 to describe Deborah as the mother of Israel. And it means the first or strongest water giver. Now, you can think about that as like earth, water, gross. Or the Carrie Lynn version. A mother is someone who provides exactly what you need. 
Susanna Wesley was a biological mother to her children. She brought them up and raised them to uphold spiritual discipline so much so that when the boys went off to college, they actually did so. But she was also a mother, the first and strongest water giver, the provider to the Methodist movement. Deborah was not a biological mother, as far as we know. She wasn't even married, but she was a judge and a prophet, a woman who built bridges between communities that couldn't seem to get along anymore. She was a woman who held a man accountable, but took it a step further to stand next to him in a battle. Women of faith are mothers. And they are incredible. The women of faith, like Susanna Wesley, who are, these are mothers that instruct us, that instill in us the important pillars of life. There are women like Deborah, who are mothers who lead us, who build bridges between us and those that we can't seem to get along with. The Methodist movement would not be here if it wasn't for the women who fulfilled the true definition of mother. A woman named Isabella Bomfrey co-founded Kingston Methodist Church and preached in services about freedom for all. You know her as Sojourner Truth. In 1830s, there was a woman named Phoebe Palmer who wrote books and articles for anyone who would publish her stuff articulating her theology, which eventually became known as the Holiness Movement, which is how Methodism came to be in the United States. There's a woman named Anna Howard Shaw who was one of the first women ordained in the Methodist church. And in her spare time, after getting ordained and working in the ministry, she decided to go get a little thing called an MD and did that in her spare time. And then after she got her MD, she joined a little movement called the Suffragette Movement and worked right alongside Susan B. Anthony in fighting for the women's right to vote. The Methodist tradition, this denomination would not be here if it weren't for these women. Christianity would not be here if it wasn't for women who fulfilled the true definition of mother. In fact, this very congregation is full of women who fulfill the true definition of mother. And some of them are in this room. Nancy Whitehead and Helen Finley are in here today. And if you don't know, they are the chair and co-chair of our missions team here at Creekwood. And all of the wonderful ways in which we've been able to help people would not be possible if it wasn't for their leadership. Monroe Finley was six years old and was in here a minute ago. And if you want to see someone who is a mother, come watch Monroe serve adults with special needs at Open Door. Donna Goldammer is watching online today. I've been so inspired in the last couple of months by the way in which Donna has upheld complete faithfulness in the sight of really, really, really tough medical things. Hannah and Amy Brookshire are here today. They are both mothers because they led you in worship today. Kimberly Partain, Lynn Partain, and Bobby Sullivan are here today. All three of these women are mothers because they are so gracefully blending together a family to remind us that love knows no bounds. Melanie Reagan is here today. If you want to watch true love, watch Melanie and her husband navigate a long-distance marriage, a move to Texas, and the true talents of her boys that she uplifts. Sue Jarvis is in here today. 
Sue Jarvis is one of my favorite non-anxious presences to hang around when I'm stressed. And Sue was the one who came up with the idea to do a cookbook as the mission's fundraiser. She is a mother. Susan Carr is watching online today. Susan Carr in the last couple weeks has had to walk through some of the most unimaginable horrors of this life that can be thrown at someone. And yet Susan Carr still decides to show up. She is a mother to all of us. So I hope this Mother's Day that you connect with mothers. I hope that you might be able to call and to tell wonderful stories of the woman that you call your mother if she was good to you. I hope you have even more mothers, mother-like figures in your life who have been there for you too. But I hope today you might think about expanding your list and thanking and acknowledging all of your other mothers. The women in your life who have authority. The women who have provided for you. The women who have educated you on life's most important things. The women who have made an effort to make special time for you. The women who taught you, helped you build those important pillars of your faith. The women who have carried you women who see you, women who hold you accountable, women who have a fiery personality, women who remind you to do what God is asking of you, and if necessary, the women that go along with you when you've been commanded by God to do something, and the women who have quite literally gone into battle alongside you. They need to know that you would not be here if it weren't for them. And not just on Mother's Day. There's a stereotype, I think, where um, women and mothers only feel acknowledged one day out of the year. But you have been inspired by women every day of your life. And so today and every single day, thank them and be inspired by them. Because none of us would be here if it weren't for the incredible women of faith who follow the true definition of what we call a mother. Let's pray. Mother God, we thank you for women. We thank you for the ways in which we see you through the women in our lives. We thank you for all the different kinds of mothers that we have and that we experience in this life that we get to be part of. God, we repent for the times in which we have made women feel less than. We have made women feel like they are not as created in your image just as much as men are. Or we have diminished women. God, we thank you for the things that we learn from women, your comfort, your grace, and your love. Help us as we acknowledge all of our mothers today and continue to place important women of faith and mothers into our lives so that we might continue to know you more. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. We have just a few announcements. Thanks for listening. 
We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.